0: MobiCom, one of the biggest telecom providers, actually launched a token called MobiPay for their own in-house application. And a lot of applications in Asia are tied to their phone providers, where the phone provider is not just a Verizon or Sprint, but it's your Verizon, Facebook,
1: Venmo, all wrapped in one. Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement, where every week we bring you conversations, insights, and innovation highlights from emerging startup ecosystems all over the world. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz. Thank you for tuning in. I am joined today by Natsag Dorj. He was born in Mongolia and grew up in the U.S. While he was a student at George Mason University, he started TokenPlay, a blockchain gaming distribution platform that was acquired within a year and a half for $2.4 million. He then traveled back to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, where he helped to build up the nascent blockchain and cryptocurrency ecosystem, and now advises multiple Mongolian startups and ecosystem stakeholders. He's here today to unpack the current state and players within the Mongolian startup ecosystem. Somendor, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And to any Mongolian listeners, uh, Sam Beno, happy to be on here.
1: And so why don't we start this off, which is getting an idea of of the landscape in Mongolia. So it looks like a third of the population actually live in Ulaanbaatar. That seems to be where most of the companies and infrastructure is located. Um, So tell us a little bit about the city. Like if we were flying there and we just touched down today, what would we come out of the airport looking at?
0: Currently, if you flew into Ulaanbaatar, you'd be flying into uh, Chinggis Airport. However, there actually is a new airport that has been built and it should be operational by 2021 or 2022. It was funded by the Japanese government and it's going to be about three times the size of the airport. Understanding the Mongolian ecosystem is really you would uh, you need a history lesson on the Mongolian society and how uh, dramatically we have changed in the past 100 years. We've been a largely, you know, herding nomadic culture for most of our Existence when we converted into a socialist revolution and we had the backing of the USSR, that was where most of the infrastructure development actually begun, and the city of Ulaanbaatar really grew in height. And um, you know, converting a a whole culture of you know, it's three million people now; it's probably one third of that in the 1900s. So uh, transitioning from a largely domestic herding community into an actual um, centralized government, centralized city, planning, all of these things um, without Soviet development, we would not have been able to do on our own just because of lack of in-house
1: talent, lack of
0: development, and just simply resources.
1: And so even though you were born in Mongolia, you didn't go back until you you were 21 when you first went back there, what was different between your expectations of what it was and you know what you actually saw?
0: Well, largely, when I had left, I left Mongolia when I was three years old. I was part of a large community of Mongolians all around the world that when the Soviet Union collapsed, there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of poverty food shortages. So like anyone else, anyone who had the resources, education, or the memes to uh, leave, they did leave. And so that's where my parents immigrated over to the United States and where we um, started our life. And, you know, I believe I'm part of the first generation of the diaspora that is trying to return back home, that is trying to uh, redevelop our home nation. And the one of the most interesting things I found was The city has become completely modernized in a sense of you can see the Soviet planning and architecture and Soviet uh, planning and central system where you can see brutalist houses and apartment buildings where there really are no street names. If you wanted to tell someone an address, you would tell them, I live in District 4, apartment 320, uh, building number 3, and that's your address. And, you know, it's very Hunger Games vibes for me, but it's completely normalized. However, since the 90s, you'll see, if you look at the skyline of Mongolia now, you'll see modern buildings, skyscrapers that are you know evolving outside of the city. So the development in the city um, in the past 30 years has grown exponentially.
1: Well, it seems to me like a lot of emerging markets have some problems that are very similar across the board that are there for entrepreneurs to solve. And the no address one, I think, is a pretty relevant one in the Caspian Sea region in the Middle East and Africa. When it comes to something like like a rocket internet, a company that replicates Western business models and comes into markets that are emerging, are there any players like that putting capital into the ecosystem? Or is it still kind of very early and just small local players that are getting some traction?
0: I wouldn't say it's small local players gaining traction the small local players are solving solutions for the Mongolian people and those markets. However, those problems and markets are not applicable on a global basis. However, you have global players that might find use cases in Mongolia that they wouldn't have use cases otherwhere. An example of this is a company called What Three Words they've broke up uh the whole world and uh, land masses that in three or four words i believe but basically with three or four words you can have a a geolocation of a land so there's a lot of herding communities that have homes and people they want to attract tourists and people want to stay in these herding communities stay with a local family experience what they want to do but they have no postal address how can you actually get there so a lot of these herding communities partnered with uh, Airbnb and What3Words partnered together so people can actually find these uh, stays and locations uh, and homesteads or whatever it may be using the application and they can go and find and uh, live with these
1: communities. So it was refreshing earlier when you mentioned that the airport that's being built was actually um, financed by the Japanese and not the Chinese. (laughs) But when you look at the broader kind of investment sectors of the country itself, I mean, what would you say are the legacy sectors that uh, have attracted traditionally the most funding? That you know need to be kind of innovated, uh, or, or the innovation needs to be you know targeting those specific sectors.
0: I would say you know ninety five percent of Mongolia's economy comes from mining. The natural resources in the mining are intense. Almost all of the coal mined in Mongolia is exported into China. Why? Because uh, there's a special kind of coal. It's a different ore, I forgot what kind, but there's different qualities of coal. And so the coal mine in Mongolia is actually hot enough that they can melt steel beams or steel. And so a lot of China's growth and manufacturing has been funded by countries like Mongolia or the Congo or this or that. And so we have a classic resource curse problem. And most of these problems I find are not a case of oh there's resources or so this must be corruption, this or that it's simply because We haven't had a proper history of nation-built, stating. We were literally ragtag created in the 90s, and a lot of Eastern uh, European countries that were ex-Soviet satellite states like us have experienced some of the similar issues of how do you separate your state industries, where that was your only industry, into something now into a free private market. And so that transition has been a little rough, and it's been hard to foster small business entrepreneurship. Having government policies that are beneficial to bringing in outside capital and uh, the ease of use of actually operating your business inside the country and, you know, modernizing. And, you know, there are some countries that have done incredibly well with this. Estonia is an example of an ex-Soviet satellite state that has completely gone digital and realized that, you know, for them, they have no resources to mine. They have nothing. So really, Internet is their source of innovation, and they've gone fully into it where, you know, I have my Estonia e-residency. I paid $100 for this application, and now with my Estonia e-residency card, I can actually – they introduced a Nomad Visa for anyone who has their Estonia e-residency. I can open a business, uh, have a bank account, and operate in the EU simply, and I've never been to Estonia, I've never been to EU, but I can do that completely online, and I
1: paid $100, and that government revenue goes to Estonia. I think digitizing passports and digitizing currencies is going to be uh, a key to government innovation and competitiveness this decade. Um, And you're right in the gift and the curse aspect of having something like, you know, being mineral rich or being oil rich, because those type of investments tend to be more extractive than um, other sectors that help to develop the domestic economy a little bit more uh, and, you know, allow customers for (laughs) startups. You did mention to me that there was one um, Mongolian startup that was able to kind of get a global customer base and raise some serious capital. So can you tell me a little bit about their story and some of the you know, time you spent working for them?
0: So probably one of the best success stories that have come out of Mongolia in the past couple of years has been Lend uh, LendMN uh, is a microfinancing loan. So they give loans out to people with no credit, this or that, at... Um, and the average loan size is around a hundred to two hundred dollars, and so the uh, to give you an imagine idea of how popular this app is in Mongolia, as you said earlier, there's only three million people in Mongolia, one point four million live in the city in the capital in the capital, there was over i believe the in the app they had over four hundred and fifty thousand wallets created, so if someone downloaded the app, put in their information, and created a wallet. And then there's over 300,000 active loans. So that means you have a loan out, you're making payments on it, this or that. And so that's almost one third of the city are taking micro loans of 100 to $200 right now.
1: Those are kind of like micro SMEs. Like, is that like farmers or like merchants or what, what does that look like?
0: It could be as simple as, you know, a lot of things where uh, the funny story behind LendMN is the founder and NAR, he got really tired of people always asking him for money or trying to lend him this or that. And, you know, uh, you know, finding people to actually pay you back is a little bit difficult too. And um, so he actually created that from his own personal frustrations of that. And and he was initially scared of, hey, well, what if they just take out this loan to go just buy booze or whatever it may be, spend it on miscellaneous things. However, uh, you know, people realize that this is their only access of credit. Home mortgage APRs are almost thirty, forty percent. People in the U.S. cry about uh, two and a half, three and a half percent, maybe four percent. You know they're in double digits numbers on their home mortgages. So, and anything else on a personal on a personal loan basis is uh, loan sharking, this or that, exorbitant rates, where you know a thousand, two thousand percent interest. They realize this is their only access now, and so oftentimes as people. I need to buy books for my semester of college, and that's about $50, $75. And, you know, I normally wouldn't be able to do that. I'm a broke college student. Whether you're a broke college student in the U.S. or a broke college student in Mongolia, you have similar struggles.
1: When you think about the actual development of the cryptocurrency and blockchain ecosystem in Mongolia, it seems to me like the countries that have the least developed uh, infrastructure, especially when it comes to banking and fintech or financial infrastructure, are going to have the easiest time in terms of regulatory hurdles that they have to, that they don't have to jump over when it comes to actually implementing different systems on Ethereum, different DeFi applications. Would you say that Mongolia is in a pretty good position right now to actually uh, create some interesting cryptocurrency solutions for, for the local market?
0: You know, there has been experimentations MobiCom, one of the biggest telecom providers, actually launched a token called MobiPay for their own in-house application. And a lot of applications in Asia are tied to their phone providers, where the phone provider is not just a Verizon or Sprint, but it's your Verizon, Facebook, Venmo, all wrapped in one. And you know, a good example of this is Line in Japan. Japan Line has 83 million users. A lot of their... A lot of their features to pay for uh emoji packs to use in messaging in the application they use uh, lines actually coming out with their own cryptocurrency to uh their own token called uh, line i believe and they're using that to allow the users to purchase in-game items this or that and um and candy for mobicom is very similar i believe they've re- rebranded it to uh, mobipay currently so um, the telecom companies there are very at the forefront they know the digital wave that is coming just because in asia they see it all around them and they're seeing the payment ecosystem go completely digital we're going faster and faster a cashless society so it's mainly not a case of them innovating because they see forward they are innovating simply because of competition and they need to survive
1: Mm. so i mean based on everything you're saying it seems to me like the key driver of a successful ecosystem over the next 5 years for Mongolia is pretty heavily dependent on a good amount of the young diaspora actually kind of committing to go home, build local businesses and scale from Mongolia. Would you agree with me on that? And you know, is there an effort or kind of like a startup Mongolia diaspora organization that is kind of pooling together resources and and, and knowledge? Mongolia has some of the similar issues of a
0: lot of countries where we have a huge brain drain. Um, Some of the most uh, intelligent Mongolians I've ever met in the U.S., almost every Mongolian I've ever met in the U.S. are some of the top 1% succeeding. I've met Mongolians at Boston College, almost every single Ivy League school, MIT, Stanford, Harvard. They're now working at Goldman Sachs, to Facebook, to Google. However... At the same time, they want to go back, they want to invest, and they want to, you know, go back home and support their family. However, the government is not ready yet because the government is still transitioning from the scars of socialism, and they truly are still learning how to operate a true free market economy. I started a think tank in college called Startup Societies with some friends, and I researched special economic zones, how countries like Hong Kong or Singapore, or Shenzhen is a great example of, in 50 years or 40 years, they've turned from a small fish, fishing village into the Silicon Valley of the East. What caused that? It wasn't because of outside capital. It wasn't because of uh, talent. The talent was always there. It's because the government allowed regulation, or low low regulation to no regulation, low taxes or maybe no taxes, so that people can innovate, they can operate, and... Um, I can actually experiment with ideas. And the idea behind special economic zones is really, it's a matter of governance. Governance is the key driving force behind all innovation. If there's not a proper sandbox and a sandbox that you can actively participate and innovate and push forward, then it is a useless sandbox. And one of the key factors in creating outside capital, outside investment is you need to have... Um, how easy is it to create an LLC? What is the paperwork? What is the bureaucracy to do this or that? How hard is it for me to get a bank account? How hard is it for me to get a certain financial license to operate my money services businesses? How, how hard is it for me to secure my supply chain with uh, the border and whatever taxes I might have to pay with that? So these are all things that um, need to be worked on to actually foster currently Mongolia has a dilemma. We are a landlocked country. We are we have no access to outside ports. Our only way you can get products in is flying it, or you have to go by a railroad through Russia and China. And so between the, the geopolitical um, issues with that are heavy, you know, Russia and China have always had a vying influence of uh, their agenda is to keep Mongolia a very poor nation Why? so that they can simply just be another puppet state for their international means. And you can see this right now with Mong- uh, with China's One Belt One Road initiative. Um, you know, they completely ignored Mongolia's routes. Why? Because they knew if they develop the One Road uh, Obor, as sh- as what is called short, if they develop Obor routes through Mongolia, then Mongolia become a trading hub and they actually completely ignored Mongolia and this um their Obor project cuts right through Kazakhstan and uh, skips right outside of Mongolia.
1: Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It seems like in most of the world economic activity is pretty directly correlated with roads and that's why, you know, in a lot of countries it's really hard to actually talk about, you know, startups in the in the mainstream or macro context because there are still basic development challenges that need to be solved and roads I think is probably the number 1 uh on the list in terms of actually creating e-commerce startups uh you know more activity to be captured by fintech startups uh and just the economy in general uh, but Somdor, thank you so much for joining us is there anything uh we didn't cover that you want to touch on today
0: yeah so i would simply say the ongoing tech ecosystem is very I- I- interesting you know lemben um lend mn's parent company is called and global and they're based in singapore and they've actually received funding from softbank to innovate in ai there's a lot of funds that are trying to develop the talent in mongolia mongolian eco tech ecosystem is amazing you will never find a front-end engineer there you won't find a back-end engineer there because there aren't enough engineers so if you want to build an application you have to do it all yourself almost everyone is full stack and that's simply uh you know just Uh, out of necessity they're forced to do this the Japanese government actually has a grant where they are trying to train 500 new AI engineers in Mongolia by 2021 and um, there's a co-working space called Airbus it's uh, part of the Startup Nation ecosystem I worked out of their co-working office last summer it was amazing it was uh, right beside the parliament building Um, and The ecosystem is there, the talent is there, and I view it as a nation that is landlocked. I see our future as completely more and more digital. There's capital flow restrictions, there's internet censorship in Russia, China, um, all throughout Southeast Asia, and I believe Mongolia can be a hub for uh, internet innovation. We can be the Estonia, Switzerland of internet freedom and digital custody for the Asia-Pacific region.
1: Amazing. Well, that's a great quote to go out on some doors. Thank you so much for joining us today.